This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. ROI no longer just means return on investment. Today, it also stands for Revenue Operations Intelligence, which is all about how insights meet education and algorithms are used to help marketers target key personas in order to get ahead of the competition. It's a game changer, and People.ai's CMO, Justin Schreiber, describes it as the ultimate tool for marketers. It's the needle in the haystack problem, and we now have metal detectors. People.ai is an intelligence platform designed to help enterprises align their sales and marketing goals through the assistance of AI in order to solve those tricky problems. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Justin explains what it means to be the CMO of the company, and he details how marketers should be using AI to help them with key tasks. Plus, he talks about how user-generated content has changed over the last five years, and he reveals the role experiential marketing should be playing in your overall marketing strategy. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account. Speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Justin, how are you? Doing great. Good to be on the program. Yeah, great to have you back. So uh, I should say recurring guest. Uh, we had you on the show uh, I think 200 and something episodes ago, way back when. And uh, the world has changed significantly since then. Uh, and you have changed roles. So tell us about your new role as CMO of people.ai. I remember, yeah, 200 episodes ago, you were taking me to school. I was back at LinkedIn and you had some choice words about user-generated content, <laughs> which we took to heart. We, we, we made some improvements over there. I must say that LinkedIn is on a tear right now. And Ian, I would love to say that to a large extent, that is because of the good advice that you provided to us. Although that may be stretching the truth just a little bit. Hey, I, you know, I am, uh, I am right there uh, with you. And I hope that, uh, that, that my words uh, helped in the, in the world's smallest, uh, smallest way. Well, you know, it's funny you said, I mean, LinkedIn is such a funny thing. And, and, and you spent a long, a long time there. And I mean, LinkedIn truly is one of those uh you know resources obviously that for you know marketing leaders still we hear a lot of as you know a, an area of growth which is crazy for a platform that's been around for so long that it's an area of growth spend in fact i heard yesterday outside new cmo they said that the number two thing that they're seeing roi on in their marketing spend is linkedin they have a phenomenal asset in LinkedIn marketing solutions. I was actually responsible for the marketing team that marketed that product. They will, if they haven't already very shortly, that business will eclipse LinkedIn talent solutions as the largest business at LinkedIn. And that's not a surprise. If you look at the options that marketers have out there, they want an authentic platform, a trusted platform, 
LinkedIn has just done a masterful job of navigating some very complicated times, avoiding some of the challenges that some of the other platforms out there run headlong into. As a result of that, especially B2B, that is a place where people feel like I can put my brand up there. People are going to trust it. But not only that, I can reach the very specific target audience that I'm going after. And that's unique. Well, you know, and, and the quibble that I had with the platform uh, back when we talked a couple of years ago was about user-generated content specifically. And I think that what, what my issue was then and my, my issue you know, is in general with this sort of thing is, as someone who's a quote-unquote professional kind of storyteller and, and content maker and things like that, I think that there is a lot of advice that happens you know, on platforms where there's user-generated content that isn't necessarily done with the level of quality. Uh, and I don't mean like video quality and I don't mean things like that, just thought put into it. And I think that some of that stuff is, you know, it's a utility for a different thing. You look at a platform like TikTok, for example, who is creating the content on TikTok sort of matters, but actually the message in the TikTok video is the thing that goes viral, right? The actual content is the thing that goes viral. And I think that my quibble with LinkedIn was a lot of times that at the time, it was right when I think um, the video feature had rolled out and people were just recording themselves and just uploading it without anything to say, you know, as they're walking to the store and have some AirPods in and stuff like that. And I have, if, if that's your thing, that's great. But I just don't want to be served that from an algorithmic perspective because like, I don't, you know, if, if one of my connections is like just randomly, you know, babbling on about whatever, I just don't want to positively reinforce that behavior because I don't think it's necessarily something that's like really helping that many people. So anyways, it was a small, it was a small quibble uh, at the time. But I think, I think LinkedIn is, I mean, I, I'm a huge, I mean, I'm on it 50 times a day just because I think it's valuable and, and it's a way to curate your network's thoughts and opinions. You know, my daughter, who's now about to graduate from college, she was younger at one point and she was talking to an adult and she was about to ask a question and then she pulled back. The adult said, Meg, there are no bad questions. And she said, actually, there are. Yep. <laughs> I bring that up because... To your point, there's bad content. I think that especially five years ago, there was this mantra, it's all about authenticity. It's all about showing people who you really are. And what people forgot is, yes, it's about authenticity, but it's also about quality. There actually is authentic content that is not good to put on LinkedIn. Fortunately, I think the level of sophistication that we all understand as professionals now has, has been elevated this idea that we can build our own personal brand and we can use platforms like LinkedIn to do it, that's much more well understood. As the rising generation who grew up on initially Insta and then Snapchat and now TikTok understands the power of the platform, but blends that with a professional persona. And so by definition, I think the quality of the user-generated content improving. Well, and I think that you know, we, we talk about this with podcasts a lot of time as one example in this. There's 17,000 podcasts a week that are being launched, which means that there's probably, you know, 16,999 bad podcasts that are being launched a week. Not to, not to say that like, you know, not, to, not that, you know, this podcast versus another is like, you know, some, some gigantic feat or whatever. I think that the opportunity for a creator to create something truly amazing is, is better now than it ever has been. 
But I think you have to put a lot of thought and effort and research and quality and figure out how to grow the show and figure out formats and figure out all that sort of stuff. And you recently did this. You've been working uh, on a podcast that's really good. And it speaks to like a level of curation and quality and having a prepared nature. And there's, it's no surprise that, you know, some of the most popular content in the world over the course of, of the past 50 years are all things that have writers that are creating it. And uh, uh, even your, you know, all your favorite TV shows, all your stuff like that, like there's, when you're creating content, it may look effortless when you see someone, you know, get on TV and talk about XYZ because they're so conversational. But the iceberg amount of work that goes into that on the back end is the stuff that you don't see unless you're actually doing it. Yeah. So Legends in Sale of Sales and Marketing is the name of the podcast. It has been an absolute joy to work on. To your point, though, there was a lot of thought that went into what is this podcast going to be and how is it going to be different than all the other choices that folks have out there? One of the realizations that I had is that you've got these mythical figures out there. We hear about them every day in the media. We kind of create our own persona around these individuals. And oftentimes, the reality of who they are is very different. And in many cases, the true story is so much more engaging than the story we would choose to believe. So the premise of the podcast is, as the name says, find these legendary chief revenue and chief marketing officers, and then figure out what their backstory is. They were kids like we're all kids. They went through the throes of careers, getting fired sometimes, not getting promoted and find out that circuitous path that actually landed them in the, the seat that they're in today. We started off with a couple of really, in my mind, fascinating interviews. One was with John Thompson. He's the chairman of the board at Microsoft. John also happens to be one of the first black salespeople to sell for IBM in the South back in the 60s. Wow. And John talks about the experience that he had, the, the level of to put it in, in nice terms, understanding and, and in probably more candid terms, just flat out racism that he ran into. But to hear how he responded to it, to me, was, was an inspiration. You know, he talks about one story. He was younger delivering ice to an individual. And the person basically didn't want to touch the bag of ice because he said the color on John's hands would rub off. Jeez. And John just stopped and he said, tell me a little bit about why you think that and why you feel comfortable actually saying that to my face that allowed him to rise above the terrible aspects of our society and truly become the, the executive, the person that he is today. Rene Bonveni was another guest. He, he was the CMO out at Palo Alto Networks. So Rene is Dutch and Rene those that live in the Bay Area may know Rene by his car. He drives an orange Lamborghini with the Dutch flag on the side. So needless to say, he's a pretty flamboyant character. He grew up in the 70s as a DJ in Amsterdam. And that is his first love in life. Well, he talked about how as a DJ, he learned to read the crowd when the energy started to, to slacken, how to get them back up. And he said, you know, that's the vibe that I tried to bring to the marketing profession and this positive energy that moves people. That's always what I wanted to achieve. And you hear these stories and they make so much sense. 
And also they're an inspiration because it's like, you know, I got my own story. And rather than trying to trade in what other people are doing, I got to figure out what makes me me and then bring that to the job. Yeah, it's amazing to see what uh, what a lot of folks and and and, and like yourself uh, have been able to kind of navigate with these different experiences and and kind of gets them to that that next role and your next role uh, being CMO of People AI is is kind of really at the forefront of of how companies go to market. Can you can you share more about? People AI and uh, this this revenue operations uh, revolution uh, that we're going through. Yeah, there's a backstory there as well. So I grew up around sales. My dad was a sales guy. We lived in the Bay Area. My dad sold jackets. He would load up the old brown station wagon, take off at three in the morning to make it to some customers by you know nine, and he'd sell four or five jackets. That was a big win for him uh, at a particular account. So I always had a respect for how hard it is to sell, but also just the integrity that goes into great, great sales. When I graduated from business school, I joined Siebel Systems, and I was really excited to actually be able to build the technology salespeople were using to be successful. We were talking at the time about this idea that you could know everything you needed to know about a customer. You could be smarter and spend more time doing the things that really move the needle. The reality was that this was like 2000. The technology, I mean, the cloud hadn't even been invented. So while it sounded great, what we were building was a repository for reps to enter data about what they were doing, which was an important first step, but certainly not living up to the expectations that we were setting on the marketing side. So I've spent my career in the sales tech, the MarTech space. I still believe in the integrity and the nobility of the sales profession and the opportunity to help them be better versions of who they are. What really got me excited about people.ai, for the first time, I actually saw the technology coming to the fore that allowed us to capitalize on those promises that we were making. Number one, you have now an ability to automatically capture information, which never existed before. It was always manual data entry, which drives every salesperson crazy. You think about your calendar, think about email, all of the information in that essentially represents who you are and what you do as a salesperson. Number two, artificial intelligence. It's not enough just to have this information scattered across all these different systems. You have to have some level of intelligence to say, Justin just sent an email to Ian, place that here in Salesforce. And by the way, Salesforce is a completely foreign world relative to what an email system looks like. And that's where the AI comes in. And then number three, You've got to be able to introduce intelligence that says, these are the trends or the insights that we can mine. And this is how we know that those two or three things you just did, that moved the needle. The rest of the stuff, don't pay attention or worry about that. There's too much data to be able to manually understand that. But with AI, you're able to do that. So when I saw what People AI was doing and the phenomenal customers they had, Verizon and Red Hat and some great tech companies, I was like, yeah, this is this is the future. This is what I signed up to do way back when, when I joined Siebel. And so who are the folks who are, who are buying this you know, product? Obviously, sales and marketing are both uh, you know, massively important stakeholders in this. We've got a couple of customers that tend to engage with us out of the gate. Sales executives that are looking to drive additional productivity per rep. 
we can walk in and, and tell a very compelling story there. CMOs, especially CMOs that are looking to drive greater alignment with the sales organization, we give them a common data set and a common set of insights to be able to track, hey, when I'm a marketer and I hand off that lead, what happens to it? But inevitably, we always pull in rev ops, marketing ops, sales ops. Those are the people that ultimately own the system and are tasked with bringing this vision of the chief revenue or the chief marketing officer to light. And so, you know, we, we talked about um, kind of how RevOps is, is kind of the new normal here. What inning are we in for the, for the RevOps revolution? I think that in many respects, tech is telling of the general direction that the rest of the industry will go. They tend to be the first to adopt software. They tend to be the first to, to crash and burn with certain approaches. I often feel like uh, many times other industries, manufacturing, for example, they're paying attention to tech. They don't want to be the, the bleeding edge, but when they realize there's a proven technology or a proven approach or process, they'll start to adopt that. Revenue operations, which is having sales ops and marketing ops report up to the same individual is a very hot trend right now that I'm seeing in technology. On the show, on the podcast, I have a chance to talk to a lot of CROs, CMOs, and that seems to be a recurring theme. We want to bring operations underneath one leader so that we are able to break down silos that existed before. And what ends up happening is you're able to solve a couple of problems. Number one is the data problem, because now you have a team that's cognizant of the whole flow from the initial awareness that you're generating through marketing campaigns, all the way through to closing a deal and extending the relationship post-close. Number two, you're able to actually map out these processes as one contiguous thread rather than marketing. You get it to here, throw it over to the wall, and then sales will design their flow on the other side of that. And you're able to actually put systems in place that map that flow and monitor each stage of the flow so that you can see where the friction points are. Is just the way the teams work together. You now have two people working on the same team sitting shoulder to shoulder. And when it comes time to figure out the marketing flow and vice versa, a marketer might say, hey, sales, I'm seeing this. What do you think? And that feedback comes the other direction as well. So I think it truly is approaching, I wouldn't call it the nirvana state, but certainly a better place in terms of sales and marketing alignment. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, sales marketing alignment has kind of always been one of the, it's kind of like the the vendor buzzword that that just describes the the tension that we've all had over the years. Because at the end of the day, like it's just, it's hard to get both sides on the on the same page if they're not staring, sharing at the same data and if they're not using the same words and if they're not using the same metrics. And it's just kind of impossible to do that stuff. And I think, you know, for some organizations, they just kind of say, oh, it's all right, we'll, we'll just live in different systems or, or whatever. And now it's just, you just can't do that. You know, Megan Eisenberg, who's the CMO over at Tripac. Sure. Multi-time guest on, on Marketing Trend. She's the best. When she has an answer, she has thought deeply about it and probably published on it. But she's done some of the best work, I think, in terms of sales and marketing alignment. It actually came from a relationship that she built with Carlos De La Torre out at MongoDB when the two of them were running sales and marketing. I think they just clicked. They really understood each other and the power of aligning personally and then professionally in, in terms of process and, and function. But she boils it down to four things. She's like, first of all, 
you have to build something that you think is so important and that the salesperson thinks is so important that you guys can get in a room, allocate time towards, and you're really in the boat together. Number two, you have to be 100% transparent with each other. You can't hold things back. When you report, you got to report the good, the bad, and the ugly. And she said, you know, that actually starts with the relationship that you've got with your counterpart. If you can't sit in the room and give that person candid feedback that may be kind of negative and receive that, there's no way your organizations are going to be able to do that. Number three, over-communicate. It's something you hear all the time, but she is a fierce believer in communicate, communicate, communicate. And then the last part gets back to what we were saying. You got to have the tech in place to be able to make all of these things that you aspire to achieve possible, whether it's at the data layer or the execution layer, or the app layer. So those are her four ingredients to success. That's great. I, uh, she's the best. And so you're exactly right. So well, well thought out with uh, everything that uh, that she comes up with, I, that's cool about the MongoDB story. Yeah, I knew she had she had been there, but I didn't know the kind of backstory of of that uh, of that sales marketing alignment stuff. She shared a story about she and Carlos and how Carlos had given her some feedback, and it was really important feedback for her, but also more importantly, set a tone in their relationship. It reminded me of a story that I had. It was actually back at LinkedIn. I was working with a sales leader, Mike Dares, and I really respected Mike. He'd accomplished great things in his career. And so I remember sitting down with Mike shortly after I started. I said, Mike, I want to have the kind of relationship where we can just come to each other and be straight up with each other. And I would love to get your feedback as I ramp into this position about how I'm doing. I don't want you to hold back. Don't hold any punches. Like, obviously, tell me what I'm doing well. But if there's stuff that's not working, then let's talk about that. And we actually put a regular time on the calendar and we would, we would give each other feedback and nobody else was privy to these conversations. I remember the first meeting that we went into, I was nervous. I had no idea what he was going to say. He was kind of nervous too. And so we kind of started to you know, dip our toe in the water and we, then we waded into our knees. By the end, we were just like totally straight up with each other. And what I love about that relationship we were able to build is that in the end, I knew Mike would come to me with concerns. Um, and he was also really good about the things that were working well. And I knew I could do the same. And I think that trickled down through our organization. So we, we've talked a lot about the people side of RevOps. Let's talk about the AI side. Obviously, it's, it's people.ai after all. How does AI play into this? Well, there are a couple of areas where AI comes to bear. I mentioned before that you've got a lot of systems out there, all listening, capturing behavioral, we call it business activity. And the problem is that these systems are very different in terms of the way that they're structured. Email is a highly unstructured system. You've got a highly structured schema and CRM, uh, very hierarchical in nature. And in the past, the approach to getting two systems to talk to each other is you build a, this Byzantine layer of connectors that are able to process all of this logic and ultimately through a set of rules, shuttle data point A from point B to point C. Well, that just breaks. Anytime you change something, it breaks. And honestly, it's just not very accurate, especially when you get an unstructured data. So the first area where AI comes to bear is it's able to, actually, we have a technology called smart match. It takes a piece of information 
it processes the information and it's for lack of a better term, smart enough to know where it belongs in CRM. I'll give you a great example. I'm working with a prospect, a caller named Karen. She sends me an email. Now, if I'm not really on top of what's going on at that account, even as a human being, it could be really hard for me to figure out where I should put that email in CRM. Think about an account like GE. GE has multiple divisions, multiple regions. You could be working on multiple deals. If you aren't very, very close to that account, how in the world are you going to know where to drop that email? Well, with AI, it's a different world. First of all, AI is going to notice that obviously uh, this woman has a GE email address. On top of that, using natural language processing, it's going to pick up clues like, oh, GE Healthcare was mentioned. On top of that, it might look for other context clues such as there are five other people on this email. I also know that they're on an opportunity team in CRM. Yeah. So AI is just churning through all of these different contacts clues. That doesn't matter. That does, that doesn't. And it can actually drop that email into the right place. So that's an example of how the matching technology was just put on steroids. And then the second thing is the ability to identify trends and, and the needle moving behavior. A classic example of a problem sales teams face, especially those that are in high growth mode, they're constantly onboarding reps. And every manager has their favorite flavor of, here's what a rep needs to do to be successful. Well, AI can look at all the reps that came in. If it has all the data related to what they're doing because of the, the smart match, and if it can see outcomes in the form of the deals that are being closed in CRM, it can then say, actually... We're not guessing on what successful reps do. We know exactly what they do. These are the benchmarks that matter, the leading indicators. Here's what this current rep is doing. And here are three things that the rep needs to change. And then you serve that all up in a consult that helps the manager to be more successful and effective. Yeah, that, that's a key point. I mean, how much, how much are marketers thinking about you know, sales rep onboarding, right? It's like something that we... we, we truly don't spend a lot of our time thinking about, right? But it is one of those things that it's, it's an important part of our, uh, our world. And it's something that, I mean, uh, you know, you've, you talked to a lot of CMOs, you've been in marketing a long time. I don't know if you've ever sat there and uh, with the sales leaders to figure out their, their onboarding process and where marketing fits in. There's a wonderful opportunity also for marketers to get involved in this whole process. One of the first things that sales will do when they're laying out their playbooks is they'll say, well, who do we need to engage with? And in what order do we need to engage? And what do we need to talk to them about? Again, using technologies like AI, you can ingest the full canon of information that both sales and marketing is, is firing off at target audiences. What you can do now is you can actually process all of the activity that is being transacted, transacted, and you can understand exactly who's involved with that. And so now marketing can go to sales and say, we have quantitative data related to who gets involved in deals and when they get involved. This is what you should build your playbooks around. All of a sudden, with that kind of data, absolutely, come on in marketing and let's, let's solve this problem together. Yeah, can you, can you unpack that a little bit and just explain like, what are those insights? What are, what are they sharing? So- a lot of times the traditional approach to persona definition, you've got a couple of vocal people in an organization 
that tend to drive the sales playbook. I'm a successful rep. I'm a successful executive and here's how I do it. And those playbooks become the codification of a personal approach to selling. And obviously it worked for that person. Otherwise they wouldn't be successful. The problem is that there are intangibles oftentimes that that person has that maybe the rest of the folks in the organization don't have. So what you really want to do is you want to process all the information across the entire organization. Does it vary by region? Does it vary by product, et cetera? And take into account those nuances as you're building the playbook. What you end up with is rather than a customized personal playbook for you know Kim Johnson and how she sells, you get an actual reflective playbook of the best way to sell in the Southeast United States product A. And again, it takes a lot of data to be able to do that. The data has to exist. So you got to be able to capture that information. CRM on its own, unfortunately, doesn't do that for you because it's relying on manual data entry. And then once you have the data, it takes a lot of processing to actually figure out what are the trends, who got involved, when did they get involved? You know, if you listen to Challenger, I think that now there's like nine people involved in the buying committee, but when did they get involved? In what order did they get involved? And so that's now what we can unearth with, with this ability to analyze the data. Yeah, that was me back in the day as a, as a young sales rep. That exact thing where I'm like, I did all this research on personas and this and that and whatever. And you're like, you know, going to your sales leader and you're like, give me a break. Like you're giving me tactics to sell into, you know, companies in the Midwest. And it's like, that's just not going to fly in Silicon Valley. Like you're, you're crazy. Those like, you can't like, you know, one of the big things, I mean, this is either here nor there, but uh, one of the big tactics was, uh, was walking into the front office and just asking for a meeting. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? This is not 1985. You can't walk. There's, there's, I don't even think there's a company in, in all the Bay area, uh, that's like a, you know, uh, an enterprise company that you can walk into the front desk and like, see if someone's around <laughs> like security guards, you have to badge in. What are you talking about? But it's like those little things were like where he was in Pittsburgh it was like that closed business. Like when he was a rep and as a sales leader, like he can walk into, you know, whatever company and, and, and walk in the front door. And it's like, those are the sort of things you have to put data behind that. Uh, otherwise it's just, like you said, it's the loudest voice in the room, uh, that's gonna, that's gonna win that, that conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's the needle and the hail, the haystack problem. And, you know, we now have metal detectors that allow you to zero in on that needle. So, um, Obviously, you know, you've, you've been at, at people.ai a little bit now. What are some of the things in terms of marketing your product that you've been a little bit surprised at uh, and, and generating this, uh, this, this groundswell, uh, this, this movement of, uh, of, of getting rev, RevOps, you know, going in, in all these companies? Well, I'll go back to an epiphany that I had. I had a chance to, vis- to participate in, in Con Lion Festival in south of France. It is every bit the boondoggle that you hear about. I mean, you're in the south of France. They've got yachts in the, in the bay and uh, lots of rosé flowing freely. That said, it was fascinating to be able to go across multiple years and just see how the tone of that event changed because I think it was a microcosm of what was happening in marketing. What I noticed is that the way that the vendors were interacting 
changed. It became much more personal, much more interactive as, as the years transpired. And I'll give you a great example. Adobe actually has a whole function experiential marketing. And it's not just lip service. They had hired a couple of cycling pros. They had high-end bicycles. You could sign up for a cycling tour where you could literally ride around the, the south of France on bicycles with these pros. And it was like a three or four hour excursion. And of course, I mean, it's a very high, high profile audience that you're able to engage with, but it didn't feel like we were at an event. It felt like we were just out building relationships, bonding. And I was talking to the guy that was in charge of all of this. And he said, you know, I meet people and when they're in my neck of the woods, they call me up because we have our cell, each other's cell phone. They'll call me up. They'll come over to the house and I'll like barbecue for them. And I had one sales RVP call me up and he's like, I heard so-and-so just came over to your house for a barbecue. How did you do that? I can't even get the guy to return an email. And he's like, it's the experience. And it's the personalization of the experience that really makes the difference. And that always stuck with me. And companies are getting really, really savvy now, the best companies about creating those kinds of personal experiences. So to go back to your question, people.ai, with the podcast that we run, these executives are sharing some pretty intimate stories about themselves. Carol Carpenter is the CMO over at VMware, was in her house, not surprisingly, doing the interview when her two dogs burst into the room and she just kept on talking. She was, she was rolling with it and we incorporated them into the podcast. But then after she shared some great insights and we wanted to share those with everybody at VMware. So we had a, a personalized ABM program just launching to VMware. And in that we referenced the dogs and we said, if there's any dog lovers out there, we're happy to send a chew toy over to your dog. And it kind of tied into the podcast. And I, I think that that level of humanity and that recognition that first we're people before we're professionals, I think people appreciate that and that sticks with, with you a lot more. And it's not a gimmick. I mean, it has to be genuine, but when it is, I think people appreciate the, the effort that you've made in that area. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, especially when you're talking about the enterprise, um, you know, when, back, back a while ago, we had a great conversation with the, the, the former CMO of Airbnb. And he was talking about how with his agency that, you know, when they launch a deal, they, he brings everybody over for dinner and they do, and he like makes them dinner and does, you know, a whole thing. And I, that always just struck me as just such a, a wonderful way to kick off like a, a partnership. And obviously, you know, we definitely can't do that now because of COVID, but, um, but I think that like, that sounds like work. Like to to set that up, to figure that out, to get your significant other, you know, to be like, hey, you know, we got to clean the house, you know, to to get all those things. And I think that those type of um, experiences, I think we're they're lost, you know, a lot of times on our sellers when you know they're trying to hit a number, which is really really hard, and we're like, hey, you need to go the extra mile because we're marketing the extra mile. Do you kind of see that sometimes? your marketing can get ahead of sales in that way that you're trying to get so 
so memorable, so experiential. And then, uh, you know, potentially the reps don't really understand the strategy there and and might want to jump on it uh, in kind of a more transactional way. Well, I think that the there's always a challenge of keeping sales apprised of what marketing is doing and vice versa. And that, that going back to Megan's advice is where communication, communication, communication comes in. I think that reps are hungry to do anything that works, but a lot of times they need guidance and direction. Marketing, we're the experts on how to personalize. And if you've got a good rep, they're going to soak that up, but you have to be willing to offer it to them, to educate them, to teach them the tools. So one thing that we do, and I think most, a lot of marketing groups do this, is you create a kit for your sellers, but then you show them how to personalize that and you make it as easy as possible. And you help them understand these are the sources that you want to go to when you do think about personalization. And I found that there's a good response to that. On the other hand, I found that when I'm frustrated about something that's happening on the sales side, more often than not, it comes back to me, comes back to my organization. Cause we just haven't taken, we did all this, made all this effort to put the program together. We just didn't take the time to enable the sales team on how to use it. Yeah. That's a great point that you need to, you need to market your marketing a little bit. Right. So, um, you know, your, your daughter once said there are bad questions, uh, and it would be bad of me as a host not to ask about what happened with, uh, with you and Shaq. <laughs> well, I did have the opportunity to meet Shaquille O'Neal earlier in my career. That was a great experience. It was, it was actually my first conference as part of LinkedIn. I was in charge of it. I had never done a conference of this scale before, and I was petrified. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to like acknowledge to everybody that I was in over my head. So I just kind of went for it. And I thought to myself, who could we bring in that would really, would really resonate and be a game changer? And and Shaq just popped into my mind. And we were fortunate enough to be able to line him up. And so he was our keynote speaker. They're like Justin, get the biggest guest. And you're like, <laughs> okay, I'll get the biggest guest I can think of. But you you took it literally, and you're like, I'm going to get those guys. Seven one three hundred pounds or four hundred pounds. Metaphorically, exactly. Oh, you oh you want the biggest guess? I guess that's I guess they're talking about Shaq. Yeah. Next time it's like, all right, Yao Ming. Only <laughs> that's next year. <laughs> but I had a chance to spend a little bit of time with Shaq and I really grew to respect him. Obviously, he's a phenomenal ball player and and we all appreciate his accomplishments in that respect. But I got to know some of the other dimensions to Shaquille O'Neal. A couple of things that surprised me, he was actually a law enforcement officer. And he talks about how much admiration he had for the police force and the fact that he would actually go out and he would uh, he was on patrol with his fellow police officers. What was really intriguing though, is his point of view, he both was a black man and had been on the receiving end of discriminatory acts and comments. He was also a police officer who had a firsthand perspective of the challenges that law enforcement face. And he was able to give a very articulate and balanced point of view on some of the challenges that our society is facing right now. And one of the things that I came away from is that we got to understand each other. We got to take time to just, in Shaq's case, literally walk in the other person's shoes and discover the challenges that they face and also kind of work together on the solutions. 
The other thing that really inspired me about Shaq is he is always a student. I think that's what made him great as a ball player. But I remember he sat down and he said, Hey, this is a really important event for me. I want to, I want to be my very best. What advice do you have for me? I was like, well, Shaq, number one, this is a LinkedIn event and you have a terrible LinkedIn profile. And he's like, great. So what do I need to do? And we sat down and we gave him some pointers and literally the next week, it looked great. It looked amazing. And you know that to me made me realize that anybody that is at Shaq's level does not get there by talent alone. They are obviously gifted, but they are great students of whatever it is that they're doing. And then the third thing is Shaq loved to have a good time. And I, I wanted to see how hard I could push it. So I'm like, Shaq, I know you like to dance. Can we do a little dance competition on stage? He's like, bring it on. And so uh, I think uh, we did the whip nene out on the stage and he crushed me. But it was so fun just to get up there and see a guy that had no compunction about being 100% who he was. I had a great time and the audience had a great time. You're a bolder man than I, because I think I would rather (laughs) get, you know, shot in the head with an arrow than uh, (laughs) dance on stage at at an event. Let me say this. Next to Shaq, nobody was paying attention to me. That was my ace in the hole. So yeah, that's a good point. The big man can move. Okay, let's get into our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Salesforce has been with us since the very beginning, since episode one of this podcast, 250 plus episodes ago. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing. Discover marketing, build on the world's number one CRM. Lightning round questions, Justin. Wow, Ian, that was like a that was like a surreptitious organic ad. I think you just threw in there. All marketers pay attention to what just happened there. Impressive. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, I mean, hey, two hundred and fifty plus episodes uh, with Salesforce. Uh, we love them. I, I couldn't imagine life without them. I think I have it down at this point. You got it down. You ready for some lightning round? Bring the lightning. Okay. Number one, you have over the past, uh, past year also, uh, been in quarantine like the rest of us. Have you picked up a hobby or a habit and that you're going to continue going forward? I am currently making an old school video game with my son and we're going to have a good time playing Pac-Man space invaders and definitely Frogger together. So you obviously have a podcast that's focused on sales and marketing leaders, but if you could have one person outside of the sales and marketing world on your show, who would it be? Man, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Winston Churchill. And that's like, just add water. I would have Winston on and I would just sit back and soak it in. If you weren't a marketer, what do you think you'd be doing? I would be out in my wood shop building furniture with the assistance of zero technology whatsoever. <laughs> no screen time. No screen time. So that may be YouTube. That, that's where I learn all my good stuff. Yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah, no screen time except for how to learn how to learn all that stuff. Best advice for a first-time CMO? I'll give the advice Shelly Archambault gave to me. She was a guest on the show, and she said, wisdom falls from the sky. Make sure you pick it up. Anything that we didn't get to today, Justin? I feel like we, we covered a lot, but uh, barely scratched the surface. Any, uh, any things that, that are particularly, you know, you see on the horizon as, as trends or things that people should watch? 
I want to come back to this idea of storytelling. I love to tell stories. I love to capture stories. And I, I think that more and more companies that are doing the best work are the ones that, that incorporate stories into it. It was a real privilege for me to work at LinkedIn because I think they really, they take pride in the members on that platform and are able to showcase the stories. I remember one story in particular that they featured, a guy named Rob Thompson. He worked for a company called Unique. They made wearable medical devices. So if you had scoliosis, they would put this on you. And the ad told the story of Rob, how he was able to connect with a doctor who helped a young woman who was struggling with scoliosis. And I saw that and I said, that's why I'm in marketing. That's why I'm so proud to work at LinkedIn. And I think as we can bring to the fore the humanity of what we do and how it genuinely touches people and make lives better, that'll be, I mean, those people will always be at the vanguard of this profession. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, to our earlier conversation, the harder the story is to tell, you know, the, the, the shorter the story is to tell, the more work you put in, it's likely you're going to get more rewards from that. You know, it's, uh, I read this thing the other day, this is a total anecdote here, but that uh, when writing Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote 11 different Elvish dialects and that he said that he could have written Lord of the Rings in Elvish. And it's like, if you're ever wondering how hard it is to be a great storyteller, it's like, imagine creating 11 different languages and then, you know, being so fluent in them that you could write your stories in them. That's like, that's what the best ones in the world did. And uh, we should, we should all aspire to do stuff like that. You know, the other point on Tolkien, he was a student of storytelling obviously a professor at Oxford. He was steeped in the classics, you know, Beowulf and got one in the green Knight and the original fables and tales. And we all just assumed that this popped out of his head, but it was the byproduct of, first of all, having studied. And then, you know, in the Eagle and child pub there rubbing shoulders with uh, CS Lewis and the likes probably helped him. He had a lot of feedback, so I, I think it's a good point. Storytelling and story writing is a rigorous process. It looks easy when you get it right, but there is so much that happens behind the scenes um, that goes into making a great story. Yeah, there's no such thing as writer's block. There's just reader's block. If you can't write, you haven't read enough. Yeah, that's a good point. Justin, thanks so much for coming on the show. Again, uh, we got to have you back. For all of our listeners, check out Legends of Sales and Marketing. We'll link it up in the show notes. It's an awesome podcast with with great guests, uh, some of whom who we've had on this very show, uh, the likes of Ryan Carlson and others. So check it out. Justin, any final thoughts? Hey, it's been a great time. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Awesome. And everybody check out people.ai. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.